Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you would, get your Bibles out. Open them up to the Old Testament, to 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to launch from there. Going to read some verses that uh, are from a very familiar account in the Old Testament. Going to use those as our launching pad and as we get ready to spend these next few minutes together in the Word of God. It is great to see everybody this beautiful Lord's Day morning, just a beautiful spring day here in South Central Kentucky, and I'm so glad that you've chose to be with us. We do have guests with us today, and appreciate very much the fact that you've come to worship with us and trust that you are being encouraged and built up by uh, our time together here in, in worship to God and right now in listening to God through His Word. Let's read together in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm reading here, this is the story of David and Goliath, but we're reading here about kind of the precursor to the battle between David and Goliath. Here's some of the stuff that happens before David is actually able to get to that battle. In 1 Samuel 17, I'm reading here in verse 32, David said to King Saul, he said, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant, that is me, I... I will go and fight with this Philistine. But Saul said to David, verse 33, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. How many young people have been told what David was told right here? You're too young. You're not old enough yet. You're not ready. You've got some growing up that you need to do. You need to wait. Young people have to hear that kind of thing all of the time. Whether it's a 12-year-old who comes to mom and dad and asks if they can go out on a date. Whether that's a 9-year-old who comes to mom and dad begging, can I please have my own cell phone? Or maybe that's my own 7-year-old who slid over behind the steering wheel of my truck recently and said, I want to drive. What she was told and what young people are often told is, nope, you're going to have to wait. And many times, rightfully so. Not every young person is ready for everything that they want to try to engage in. I realize that every child matures at a different rate, but but generally speaking, there are just some things that young people are not ready for and they're going to have to wait. Well, young people, this morning... I'm going to tell you something that you don't have to wait for. In fact, it is something that you should not wait to do. That if you understand the things that I'm going to talk about this morning in this sermon, then you do not need to wait and you do not need to put this off any longer. This is something that when you reach a level of comprehension, a level of recognition, a level of readiness, then the time for waiting is over. And now is the time for action, which is why this morning I want to say quite emphatically and clearly, don't wait. Don't wait to obey the gospel. Now I realize there may be some legitimate reasons as to why you have waited up until now. Maybe you needed to learn some more. Maybe you needed to grasp the the personal implications of the gospel. Maybe you needed to get some questions answered. Maybe you needed to get your courage up. And that's all well and good. I understand about all of that. But a moment comes when every person needs to recognize that there is no reason to wait any longer. There's a moment when you come to realize, I can do this. I am ready. In fact, if you keep on reading in 1 Samuel chapter 17, David has arrived at that moment. 
Because after being told by King Saul and being told by his brothers and being told virtually by everybody else, oh, you're too young, you can't do this, David says, yes, I can. Keep reading verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant, me, I, I used to keep sheep for my father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so Saul said to David, Go. Go, and the Lord be with you. Young people, I need you today to get to this place. I need you to get into David's shoes today and to say, I'm doing this. I'm doing this today. I am stepping out in faith. I'm going to obey the gospel today. No more waiting. No more excuses. No more putting it off. Today is the day that I'm going to become a Christian. This sermon, as you can probably guess, it is designed to deal with any kinds of final questions that you might have about that. And yes, this sermon is also designed to crush any remaining excuses that might be standing in your way so that today, this day, April the 18th, 2021, this would be the day that you obey the gospel. And I'm really not kidding about that. The whole point of this sermon today is to get folks off of the dime and to take decisive action in obedience to the gospel. Somebody's maybe saying, Josh... You're putting an awful lot of pressure on yourself this morning. No, sir. No, ma'am. That's not, no pressure on me. I'm just preaching the Word of God. Just doing what we see repeatedly in the book of Acts. Doing what we see preachers like Peter and Paul doing time and time again as they call for immediate obedience to the gospel. Not putting pressure on myself in any way. Because what we're talking about today is boldly proclaiming the gospel and the good news that you can be a Christian today. And you know what? If nothing else happens today, if the final amen is said and nothing else has occurred today outside of the norm, then at the bare minimum we will all leave here knowing that at the Lakeside Church of Christ we preach the gospel and we are in the business of bringing people into contact with the gospel so that they can become Christians. And that you know what? We're not ashamed to extend the invitation of the Lord with a boldness and with the urgency that it demands and it deserves. Somebody maybe is thinking right now, well, Josh, I, I did obey the gospel years ago. You know, I was baptized 30, 40 years ago. I mean, what am I supposed to do with this sermon? I got you. You know what you do during this sermon? You pray. You start praying now and you pray until I'm done talking. You pray that someone, pray that someone's will be pricked in their heart this morning that upon hearing the gospel message, they will act upon it. They will have the faith and the courage and the boldness to come forward and to say, I want to be a Christian. That's what you pray for. You pray for tender hearts this morning. Can you do that? I think you can do that. Everything this morning is really kind of focused and centered on what's going to happen in, I don't know, 29.5 minutes when Brother Tom stands up and he says we're going to sing the invitation song. I'm preaching this morning so that you, when that song starts, you'll start. You will start down that aisle and you will say, I want to become a Christian today. 
Now, in order to make sure that all of our bases are covered today, we do need to talk for just a moment or two about, about just the gospel in a general way. Now, this most certainly will not be a 97 correspondence course lesson series where we're going to talk about everything about everything. You know, I'm preaching this year through the book of Romans, the gospel according to Romans, and that series is going to be at least 16 lessons long. We're not going to do that this morning, but it is true that we do need to have some understanding and we need some information, and so let's get a little bit of that information. In fact, maybe this will just be a refresher for us, and let's start that in Romans. Look with me in Romans 3. In Romans 3, let's just stitch together some verses here, beginning in Romans 3. In Romans 3, it is true that the gospel is good news, but the gospel actually begins with some bad news. We're told about that in Romans 3 and in verse 23. Romans 3 verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All people who are of an age of understanding and maturity, that age of accountability that we talk about, have sinned. That makes us sinners. But here's the good news. The good news for sinners is that Jesus has come to save sinners. Just turn a couple of pages to Romans 6. In Romans 6, I'm looking at verse 23 again. In Romans 6, this is verse 23, For the wages of sin is death. That's bad news. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's Jesus who makes it possible for us to avoid those wages of sin. He saves us. Well, what do we need to do then? What we need to do is we need to obey the gospel. Since we're still here in Romans, let's just keep working that. Look in Romans 10. In Romans 10, Paul talks here about some people who are not saved. And he gives the reason for that. In Romans chapter 10, I'm reading in verse 16. In Romans 10 and in verse 16, he says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. That's a problem, isn't it? You've got to obey the gospel. You know, sometimes we say that and talk about that and speak of the urgency of that. You need to obey the gospel. If anybody needs to respond to the gospel, come forward as we stand and as we sing. Okay. We talk about that. And we use that kind of vernacular, but I'm afraid that many times we don't actually tell people what that entails. What does it mean to obey the gospel? Well, that, of course, begins in faith. Faith in Jesus. Let's go grab that famous verse in John 3. In John chapter 3, I'm looking here at verse 16. In John 3 and in verse 16, there the Bible says, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him, faith in Him, trust in Him, should not perish but have eternal life. It all, it all begins with faith, doesn't it? That is the fuel that drives everything else here. We've got to believe, we've got to trust in Jesus. But of course, that's going to lead to us just doing some things. Namely, that's going to lead to repentance. Repentance. Look with me in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, here is the very first time that the gospel is preached publicly. And here the apostle Peter, in, in response to some people who had asked the question of, what do we need to do? What are we supposed to do in light of the fact that we are sinners and we realize that we're sinners? Well, is there anything that we can do about that? Peter tells them, Acts 2 verse 38, he says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance talks about a turning away from sin, 
making a 180 degree turnaround in our life and a turning to the Lord. Furthermore, that faith in Jesus, that also empowers a person to, well, to make a good confession. Can we go back to Romans 10 again? In Romans chapter 10, Paul highlights the importance of being able and being ready to publicly say, I believe. What I believe in my heart, I can then confess it with my mouth. I believe that Jesus is God's Son. Romans 10, this is verse 9. Romans 10 verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That confession thing. That is an integral part to this entire salvation process. And of course, all of that finally culminates where? It culminates in immersion in water. And what's the Bible term for that? Well, that's that word baptism. That's where all of that needs to end. In 1 Peter chapter 3, in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes about baptism. We've already noticed Peter said something about baptism on the day of Pentecost. But look in 1 Peter 3, this is verse 21. 1 Peter 3 and in verse 21, Peter says there, baptism which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now of course whenever we talk about baptism, we want to be clear about that. Because sometimes baptism is a point of confusion for lots of folks today. There's lots of different kinds of baptisms that are offered today. There's baptism as a baby. There's baptisms to join a church or a denomination. Sometimes people are baptized after they believe that they are already saved. An outward sign of an inward grace, they call that. Sometimes there's sprinkling that occurs or just pouring some water on a person and that's called baptism. But, but none of that matches up with the biblical definition of what baptism really is. The baptism that 1 Peter 3.21 is commanding the baptism that Acts 2 verse 38 commanded, the baptism that Jesus commanded and authorized is baptism for the remission of your sins. And it is a burial, a total immersion in water for the forgiveness of your sins. That of course makes baptism the crucial step in a person's obedience to the gospel in order to be saved, in order to become a Christian. And what that means is, let me just get very clear now, that means that there are people in this auditorium, there are people here at 500 Ritchie Lane this morning who have never responded to the gospel and you know, you know that this morning now that I'm talking to you. And what I'm saying to you this morning is, is that you need to obey the gospel. You need to become a Christian. Now of course, I realize this is not everything about everything about the gospel. We haven't dealt with, for example, every false doctrine that comes up about salvation and what it means to obey the gospel. In fact, we can't deal with every false doctrine this morning. We'd be here until Tuesday. In fact, we'd be here probably longer than that. But I'm going to tell you, what you got right here, this is enough. You couple this with what you have already been taught, what you already know, I believe this is more than enough for you today to make that good decision to become a Christian. It is good news. It is good news that Jesus came to be your Savior. It is good news that you can respond to Him in faith. It is good news that your sins can be forgiven in baptism. Why then aren't you responding to that? What are you going to do about that? You need to be a Christian today. Now I know what somebody's thinking right now. What somebody's thinking is, oh boy, I know what's coming next. 
I know what Josh is going to say next. What he's going to say is he's going to say something, he's going to pull out that death card. You know what I'm talking about? He's going to pull out the death card. He's going to say that you better obey the gospel right now because if you don't, you're going to get run over by a bus and die. You're going to slip on a banana peel and fall and break your neck and die. You're going to get hit by a stray meteorite and die. You need to obey the gospel today before you die, otherwise it's just going to be terrible. Well, I would say this. That is not a completely illegitimate line of reasoning. People often do die very unexpectedly. And yes, sometimes that even includes young people. And so yes, it is worth thinking a little bit about dying and about meeting the Lord in an unprepared condition. It's also worth thinking about Jesus returning and us not being ready for that. But this morning, I'm not going to tell you that you need to be baptized, that you don't need to wait any longer because of the possibility that you're going to get run over by a bulldozer or that you might get bit by some rare exotic spider and die right there. Those things could happen. But the chances of those things happening are probably pretty slim. Statistically, you're probably going to live throughout this afternoon and throughout the remainder of this day. So I'm not going to play the death card this morning. Having said that, I still want you to know that you should not wait to become a Christian. You ought to be a Christian now. How come, somebody might ask. Why can't I just do that later? Why can't I do that, you know, when I get to high school? Or when I get to college? Or, you know, you kind of keep going with that until I get out of college, until I'm married and settle down. I'll be a Christian later at some other time. Let me tell you why you need to be a Christian today. Why you need to not wait any longer. Three reasons this morning. First of all, you need to be a Christian because being a Christian, it's awesome. It is. It's just awesome. That's something I'm afraid we don't say nearly enough. But it is absolutely the truth. Being a Christian is outstanding. It is an amazingly blessed way to live. In fact, Jesus told us that it would be that way. Look with me in John 10. In John the 10th chapter, as Jesus addresses the crowds, He says this in John 10, this is the last part of the verse. In John 10 and in verse 10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Would you notice there that Jesus does not say that I came to ruin everything. I came to spoil all your fun. I came to make people miserable and sad and depressed in their lives. No, Jesus says, if you come to me, I'm going to give you the most abundant life. One translation actually says, a rich, satisfying, and full life. Love that. Look with me in Acts the 8th chapter. In Acts chapter 8, here's a fella who obeys the gospel. He's just been baptized by Philip. This is the Ethiopian eunuch. And I want you to notice, how does he feel about that? See, all depressed and, oh, now i got to start being a Christian. Got to do all that stuff that Christians do. No! Acts chapter 8, look in verse 39. Acts 8, 39, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. But he went on his way rejoicing. You become a Christian today, that'll be you. That'll be you. You will go on your way rejoicing. You will become a Christian and it will be a joy beyond anything that you have ever experienced before, anything that you could even imagine. And I'll tell you why you'll be so excited, why you'll be so enthusiastic about that. First and foremost, you're going to be excited because 
Well, because your sins will all be washed away. Just really sit and just meditate on that for a second. Your sins, they'll all be gone. You know, everybody at some point in their life would like a kind of a reset moment where they could just kind of hit the reset button or control alt delete and do something to just kind of, just kind of get a do-over. Everybody wants that. I read that verse earlier from Romans 3 and verse 23 that says that all people have sinned. And every time I've ever read that verse, I've never heard anybody jump up and say, Oh, not me. I've never sinned. No. We all have a recognition that we have sinned. We all recognize that we've done wrong, that we have failed the Lord. We've not done what our Maker has made us to do. And so what we long for, what we want in our heart of hearts, is a second chance. An opportunity to just start over. With me in Acts the 22nd chapter. In Acts 22, here's a guy who really needed a do-over. He needed a do-over in the very very worst kind of way. This is a guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus. This guy's done all kinds of awful and terrible things. A guy by the name of Ananias comes to him and speaks to him and he says this, Acts 22, look in verse 16. Acts 22, 16, Ananias says, And now, Saul, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. That's awesome. That is God's promise to you. You will have your sins washed away when you obey the gospel. You get a clean slate. Furthermore, when you become a Christian, that also means, that also means you get to be a new person in Christ. Can you find with me Romans 6 again? In Romans 6, Paul talks about this very idea. And the truth of the matter is, we're not just looking for some kind of you know, one single time of forgiveness where we get forgiven and then we just kind of go right back to living the way that we lived before. We go back to being in the pig pen of sin. No. What we want is we want that fresh start, that clean slate, the, the washing away, and then we want the power to sustain that start, to keep serving the Lord. And that's what Paul says baptism does in Romans 6. Look in verse 2. He says, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, look at this, we might walk in newness of life. We want to start fresh. And we want to stay fresh. And Paul says that's what happens for people who obey the gospel. The power of God is on your side as you serve Him. God will help you. God will strengthen you. God will build you through His Word, through His people, through His providence. It's not all just going to be left up to you the moment that you come up out of the water. No. The Lord will be on your side. He's going to be working to keep you as a new person. And that means that you will have something that people out in the world just absolutely do not have. And that is, you will have purpose, real purpose, in life. In Philippians, the first chapter, please. In Philippians chapter 1, these are the words of Paul once again. Paul is talking about and kind of reflecting on his own life. And he's thinking about what the Lord has in store for him. Listen to the confidence with which this man speaks. In Philippians 1, I'm reading here beginning in verse 21. In Philippians 1 verse 21, Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die 
It's a gain. If I am to live in the flesh, then that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Just look at that. Look look at the purpose in that man's life. Sometimes young people are all worried because I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know what I'm going to be. And I don't know all these answers. Well, here's something that will help clarify some things. Paul says, I know what my life is about. He says, first of all, if I die and I'm going to go and be with God, then that'll be pretty good. But he says, you know what? If I stay, God allows me to live, then that means I'm going to keep on preaching the gospel, going to keep on serving Him, and that too is going to be pretty awesome. Everything that Paul does is all wrapped and centered around the purpose of going to heaven. Who on earth can live without direction and focus and purpose and hope? I would suggest to you that nobody can. At least not for very long. If you know that everything that you do ultimately is just going to amount to nothing, well then it really doesn't matter what you do, does it? But if you get some hope, if you get a purpose, if you get a destination then suddenly you're going to start doing some things that's going to move you in that direction, aren't you? And that's what being a Christian is all about. It's all about straining toward heaven. Living our lives in view of eternity. That's real purpose. And that is what makes Christianity just so very awesome. It is a wonderful way to live. It's an incredible lifestyle, far superior to anything else that this world offers. Now, I know as soon as I say just how awesome Christianity is, somebody's thinking, oh yeah, Christianity, awesome, whatever. You know, what about all that stuff that you can't do as a Christian? What about all those those, those don'ts that the Bible talks about that Christians can't be involved in? What about all of that? Well, I'll tell you about all that. As Christians, we don't worry about all that stuff. Because as a Christian, we don't want to do that stuff anymore. Can I say that again? When you obey the gospel from the heart, you don't want your old ways anymore. In Ephesians 4, please. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Paul talks here about this change, changing from the old person to the new person. In Ephesians 4, he says in verse 22, Ephesians 4, verse 22, Paul says, You're to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, And it's corrupt through deceitful desires. You know, imagine taking off a change of clothes that's dirty and filthy and disgusting. I don't want to put those right back on. I'm putting those away, getting rid of all that. Verse 23, I want to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. I want to put on the new self that is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Christians are new. Which means we don't want those things of the old anymore. That's in the past. Can I just illustrate that for you? How many people woke up this morning and thought to themselves, Man, I just really wish I could murder my best friend. I really want to do that, but but I can't. The laws of the state of Kentucky, they're just so restrictive. They're just holding me back from keeping me from doing what I really want to do. I really want to murder my best friend. How many people woke up this morning thinking that? That's what I thought. None of us had that thought. And why not? 
Because we don't want to murder our best friend. We don't want to murder anybody. I don't want to do that. Well, you know what? That's where Christians are. That's where Christians are as it pertains to all that stuff on the can't-do list. All the stuff on the no-no list. We know what those things are all about. We know what sin is all about. We know how destructive it is. We know where all of that ends up leading. We know as well that we can't have the good life, the abundant life that Jesus promised if we keep partaking of those things, if we keep holding on to those old ways. So you see, it's not a matter of us Christians feeling like, oh man, we're just missing out on all the fun stuff out there because God's law is so restrictive and so prohibitive. No! No, when you come to the Lamb of God, when He washes all your sins away, when He makes you a new person, when He gives you purpose and direction in life, you don't want those ways of old anymore. Because what you begin to see very quickly is that the joy and the fulfillment of life really only comes when you're walking with Christ. In fact, what you'll come to find out, you'll come to just be surprised at just how good it is to be a Christian. And that's why you ought to do that today. You know, when something is that good, you want to get in on it right away, don't you? If Casa Grande across the street, if they open up their doors for an all-you-can-eat taco buffet, just an all-you-can-eat taco feast, I'll tell you this, I'm not showing up for that at the last minute. I'm not showing up at that for the last five minutes. No, I'm going to be there before the doors even open. I'm going to be there right at the beginning because it's good. And I want to get some of that. In the same way, you don't want to be one of those people who just puts off and puts off and puts off becoming a Christian and then maybe later in life after you've wasted all of these good, healthy, productive years of life, or maybe you be one of these people who, when you're about to breathe your last breath, when you're lying on your deathbed, maybe your body is riddled with, with cancer or some other kind of disease, and finally then, at the last second, you decide you want to make your life right and catch the last flight out to heaven. You don't want to be that person. Christianity is not going to ruin your life. Christianity is going to start your life. It'll be the start of the very best life, the abundant life. You ought to be a Christian this morning because being a Christian is awesome. Which will lead me to this second reason this morning why you should not wait to obey the gospel. And that is because that's because you need to get started with gratitude. You need to get started with that right away. Becoming a Christian, that's the right thing to do because God is deserving of your immediate gratitude and thanksgiving. You know, we all understand and we're all taught at a very early age, parents are usually very good at this with their kids, that when someone gives you a gift, whether it's at Christmas or a birthday or any other kind of occasion, somebody comes to you and they bring you a gift, what are you supposed to say? We teach our kids and we kind of prompt them early on, say thank you. Don't, 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 don't go play with the toy and forget. No, you say thank you. Let that person know you appreciate what they've done, that the fact that they thought about you, that they were willing to take some time to go to the store and buy this present for you, or maybe at the bare minimum they got online and found something that you would like, and they purchased that, spent their own money, and they gave you this gift. Somebody thinks about you, does that for you, I mean, telling them thank you, expressing gratitude, that's just the right thing to do, isn't it? 
And so we teach our kids to do that pretty early on. And they need to do that immediately. In fact, the better the gift is, usually the more gratitude that we show, right? The sooner as well we start showing that gratitude. In the McKibben household, uh, at Christmas time every year, it seems like there's always some big gift. Somebody, whether it's mom or whoever's gotten some big gift for somebody, and I'm I'm the guy who hands out the gifts at Christmas time, and I'm always talking, no, don't 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 don't, touch, don't don't hand that one out yet. Save that one for the end. That's the big gift. And we get to the big gift, and of course sometimes tears flow because of what that big gift is, and there's excitement about that, and there is an overflowing sense of gratitude. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. We understand that the time to say thank you for that is not at next Christmas, I'm going to enjoy this all this year, and then next year I'll tell you thank you for what you gave me last year. No. Say thank you about that right now. That's how genuine gratitude works. Can you hold that thought? Look with me in Romans 5. In Romans chapter 5, We'll talk about Romans chapter 5 thoroughly this evening, but I do want to grab a little bit of it right now. In Romans 5, look in verse 6. Let's talk about this gift that we've been granted. In Romans 5, this is verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel's message, the good news, is that Jesus died for you. That you were separated from God. Your sins caused you to be lost. You were destined to spend eternity in a place where where God is not, where there is no light, there is no love, there is no hope, there is no joy. There's, There's nothing good there. In short, you are on the fast track to eternal destruction in hell. But Jesus came. Jesus came to solve the problem of sin. Jesus came to take your sins away, to take and bear your punishment for you while you were still a sinner, verse 8. Christ died for you. Let me ask you, when's the right time to be thankful for that gift? When's the right time to say, thank you, Lord? When's the right time to express that gratitude through the Lord through our actions? Is it, oh Lord, that's really great what you did. I'm really glad that you did that. And you know what, Lord? One of these days, I'm going to get around to saying thank you for the gift of your Son. One of these days, at some point in the future, not really sure exactly when, but at some point, I'm going to pour out my heart to you and I'm going to live for you in everlasting gratitude and thanksgiving One of these days. Really? If you were drowning and somebody risked their own life to come out and to save you and they brought you back safely to the shore, is the appropriate response, well, I'm going to thank you one of these days for doing that for me. Of course not. We would be all over that person. We'd be falling down. Thank you, thank you, thank you. How much more then? How much more for the incredible gift that God has given us in His Son? You know, really what we're talking about here is what we're talking about is we're talking about doing the right thing. And when is the right time to do the right thing? Is the right time to do the right thing later? No. The right time to do the right thing is always right now. If it's the right thing, we don't want to put that off. We don't want to do that at some undetermined point in the future. We want to do that as soon as we can, as fast as possible. Delaying and waiting? 
Those things are not compatible with doing the right thing. That's a step in the wrong direction. Stop and think about it this way. Every day, every day that you don't become a Christian is another day that you are in essence saying to the Lord, Lord, your sacrifice of Jesus, it actually doesn't mean that much to me. I'm not really moved by that. It's not that big of a deal to me, at least not yet. You know, maybe one of these days it will be, and maybe one of these days I'll get around to thanking you for that. Is that the statement that you want to make? Is that the heart that you want to convey to the Lord? Is that what you want to say to God about the precious gift of His Son? Maybe what you're thinking is, you're thinking, well, yeah, I, I want to be grateful, I do, but you know, I'm just, I'm just not sure that I'm ready to live the whole Christian life. I just don't think I'm really ready for, for you know, the, the thought of living all these years being a Christian and serving the Lord. Well, that leads me to this third and final idea this morning. And that is, you need to not wait to become a Christian because, well, because it is the devil ultimately who is the one who is trying to delay you. Have you ever told somebody before, hey, I'll think about it. You ever said that to somebody? Somebody maybe asks you to do something, they invite you to do something, and instead of just saying no, which is what you're really thinking, you say, I'll think about it. If somebody comes to me and they say, Josh, would you be willing to come and mow my yard? If I say to that person, ah, I'll think about it, that is a no in disguise. That's exactly what that is. It's kind of a more polite way of saying no. I'll, I'll think about it. It, it says to that other person, hey, I'm, I'm at least kind of leaving the door open a little bit. It's kind of a maybe. It's a way of saying no without it coming across so harsh. I'll think about it. And so somebody comes along and says, hey, what about becoming a Christian? Why don't you become a Christian today? What do many people say? They say, I'll, I'll think about it. I remember when I was a young person. I was probably 13, 14 years old. I had not yet obeyed the gospel. And Danny McKibben had me out at the woodshed at the McKibben household. And being out at the woodshed at the McKibben house did not mean you were getting chastised. It meant you were getting a haircut. My dad was giving me a haircut out at the woodshed. And in the middle of cutting my hair, my dad just asked me, he said, Josh, what do you think about the gospel? And of course, being put on the spot in that way, I said, uh, it's good. And my dad said, yep, it is good. Now the question is, what are you going to do about that? Do you think you ought to do anything with the gospel? And I told him that day, well, I've been thinking about it, and I'll continue to think about it. And in many ways, that day, and I think Daddy probably knew, it was a cop-out. It was just a kind of, kind of just buying more time, just kind of get him off of my back. I'm thinking about it. Has it ever occurred to you that the devil is plenty satisfied with a person just thinking about becoming a Christian? The devil does not need you to say, Oh, no, absolutely not. I would never become a Christian. The devil does not need you to say, You know what? I'm an atheist. I'm opposed to God. I don't believe in Him and I don't believe in Jesus. The devil doesn't need you to say that. In fact, the devil knows that the chances are actually pretty good that he never even could get you to say that. And so the devil's not concerned with getting you to say no to Jesus. It is more than enough for the devil to get you to say, 
I'll think about it. Not right now. I'm not ready. Whatever that means, I'm thinking about it. I would suggest to you that every time the devil gets you to say that or to think that, you have cooperated with him in taking a step away from the Lord. Every day that you do not commit yourself to Jesus, every day that you do not become one of God's children, is yet another day that you remain in the darkness. That's where sin puts us. If you're a sinner, you're in the darkness. It's another day that you are lost. It's another day that you are outside of God's grace and His covenant. And whether you want to admit that or not, it means that you are... You are aligned with the devil. Look what Jesus says about all that. Look in Luke 8. In Luke the 8th chapter, this is the parable of the sower. And what Jesus does in this parable is He actually tells us about the activity of the devil. Whenever God's Word is taught, what's the devil doing? Well, the devil's doing a lot. In Luke chapter 8, I'm reading in verse 5. In Luke 8 and verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and it was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And then some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. Verse 7, some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And then some fell into the good soil, and it grew, and it yielded a hundredfold. Jesus then begins to explain the meaning of the parable, starting in verse 12. Jesus says there, He says, The ones that are along the path are those who have heard, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they may not believe and be saved. Look at that. The devil hinders people. He holds people up. He delays people. And if that doesn't work, then what will the devil do next? Verse 13. Verse 13, the ones on the rock are those who when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing, they fall away. Look at there. The devil, he will chunk rocks into your life so that faith can't get in and grow deep and and get strong roots. And if that doesn't work, verse 14. And so for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. Do you see that? The devil will put weeds and thorns in your life to to just kind of distract you from the things that are truly and most important. He'll, He'll choke the word out. When a person is close to being converted, the devil is always right there. And he's always whispering in their ears, Wait. Wait. Just wait a little longer. You don't know enough yet. You need to think about it some more. Maybe another time would be better. The devil knows that the longer that you wait, the better the chances are that he will get you and he will get you permanently. In fact, what the devil knows is that he knows that he can help you to make some other kind of life-changing decision that will end up stealing you away from the Lord. That in the time period when you're waiting, he could cause you to take a job that would prevent you from ever even being at church. Or maybe he could encourage you to marry someone who is not a Christian and in fact would stand in the way of you becoming a Christian. Furthermore, the devil knows that every time that you say no, that just makes it easier to say no again and again and again and again. Because the truth is we get good at what we practice, don't we? You just kind of get into a routine of saying and doing the same things over and over and over again. And I'm afraid that the devil has people in training every single Sunday at church when that invitation song is sung, they have gotten very practice at saying 
No. Or at bare minimum saying, I'll think about it. Maybe on top of everything else, what the devil knows is that if your excuse works this morning, your excuse is likely to work this evening, and it's likely to work Wednesday night, and it's likely to work every other time in between, until eventually all that stuff about I'll think about it, eventually it just becomes a decisive no. No, I'm not interested. No, I'm not going to do that. I need you to be convicted this morning that the devil and his tactics and his work that it must not work on you today. You have, I believe, the information that you need to obey the gospel. And you have, I believe right here, you have the motivation. didn't even put it on the screen. You have the motivation to become a Christian, to pull the trigger and to take action today. And the more that you realize that it is the devil who is holding you back, the more you then realize how crucial it is for you to go forward. Think about it. If the devil is saying, wait, then doesn't that mean that the right thing to do is go? I don't want to do what the devil tells me. If the devil is in your ear saying no, then doesn't that mean that the only appropriate answer is yes? This morning I have given you three. These aren't the only three. but These are three really good reasons to obey the gospel. And in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and it'll be your turn. Now this is right about the moment when everybody starts you know, putting stuff away and grabbing songbooks and doing all that sort of stuff. And I understand about that. Can I get that out of the way right now? Because what I need everybody to do is I need everybody to get just still. And everybody be quiet. Because the last thing that you want to do is be fumbling around for other stuff while maybe someone is giving real serious contemplation right now to making a life-changing decision. And the last thing that you want to do is distract them from doing that. I'm going to close with this verse in 2 Corinthians 6 and in verse 2. Where the Apostle Paul, he's quoting some things from the Old Testament, he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is that day. Now is that time. I am, we are, extending to you the invitation of Jesus the Christ. The God of heaven, the King of kings, the Lord of lords is inviting you to come and to be part of His family. He's inviting you to come forward before this audience today. A desire to repent and turn from sin, to confess your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and then to be buried with Jesus in the waters of baptism. Will you answer that call? Will you respond to His invitation? Not, not sometime, not soon, not even this evening, but now, this hour, this morning. Will you obey the gospel? Let's do that. Let's do it right now while we stand and while we sing.